Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We just watched the end of the chase. Yep, episodes five and six. Was I correct? Did it get better? It did, pretty steadily. I think episode five was still, uh, there was still some dumbness in there. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I forgot about that bit, I have to admit, but uh yeah. Um, But it it was much, much better than the previous one. And actually the final episode I thought was quite good. It was, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. What made it good? Uh, First of all, the mechanoids look fantastic. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. What a great design. They are so cool looking. I mean, not particularly practical, but... (laughs) No, which night they were like the Vord and the Zarbi um, and maybe some others. Uh, They were kind of intended to sort of be like, oh, it's the new Daleks and they're going to be just as... And they made toys and everything, mechanoid toys and all that, but... uh, yeah, they never took off as uh, mm. as well as the Daleks, did they? No. Honestly, I think they're way cooler looking than Daleks. Uh, but, I mean, Daleks are not particularly, um, you know, useful looking either. So I, I don't think that the mechanoids are too many steps behind them as far as the ability to get around and do things. But I think they're, they're neater looking. And, you know, futuristic technology, whatever. Actually, speaking of... Uh, the the technology of the Daleks. I noticed that uh, once again we see the the one with like the scanner thing instead of a plunger on its hand. And I just like you know, we just had the uh, the announcement of of the new companion for for Peter Capaldi's Doctor Bill or as Bill. And I just like I was watching that and I was just thinking, no, not even all of them have any plungers at all, Bill. Yeah, what we haven't seen, I mean, this is a rarity. In the early days of Doctor Who, they, you know, remember in the first story, mm-hmm. there's one with like a flame torch that cut through mm-hmm. the door. I mean, it was always sort of intended at the beginning that it would have like different appendages that it could put on. Mm-hmm. But uh, at some point, it might even be the next story. No, they have some flamethrowers in the next story. Um, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> yes, that's right. They, they set fire to things. Um, that sort of falls by the wayside and you don't see... Many Daleks with anything but suckers for most of the, the series history, now that I think about it. Even in the new series, actually. Yeah, it's like they, they sort of get stuck in that old iconic uh, idea and never, like, they forget they forget what Daleks actually used to be like. It's fascinating. When we come to the Day of the Daleks, uh, which was the first Dalek story in like four or five years, um, it's so interesting to see how much the production team at the time basically just sort of relies on race memory mm. about what they think a Dalek is as opposed to what a Dalek actually is. And that sort of like sets in stone what the Daleks are from then on. So there's a very definite dividing line between the 60s Daleks and the 70s and, and beyond. It's kind of kind of interesting. But we'll get there when we get there. That's John Pertwee after all that we were talking about here, so... Yeah, it would be it would be interesting if maybe a future production team actually, you know, brought some of that back, gave Daleks, you know, something different to do with one of their, you know, not ever, not all of them have plungers. Some of them have a gun and a flamethrower. Some of them have a plunger and a flamethrower. Some of them have different things. I don't, I don't know if that'll happen, but I think it'd be cool. No, but I suppose um, in one respect, I suppose Mark Gatiss tried to sort of like at least give different Daleks different roles in Victory of the Daleks by having like a scientist and a mm-hmm. orange one <laughs> and a white 
one and the yellow one who's supposed to be mysterious or something. I don't know. They abandoned that, obviously. So Yeah, I mean, I, it, it was, it's an interesting idea that they each had jobs. They just, like, they, I think they just looked silly was, was the problem. Mm-hmm. It was the, the size and the bustle and all, all that. It was. Um, but not here, though. But they were just silly in general because, you know, sometimes they go, oh, 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 four minutes, oh, uh, 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 they had a dumb Dalek for a couple times and they would sort of like stumble into things and yell, am exterminated, am exterminated, am exterminated. <laughs> that would be, can you imagine if a soldier was just like, oh, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, okay. Well, actually, maybe, maybe somebody somebody has done that my favorite was the uh when there's like four three or four daleks about to get in the elevator to go up to the mechanoid city and they're just fired up about it they are so excited (laughs) yeah kill 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 exterminate exterminate annihilate destroy it's the best yep uh but jumping back a little bit just to cover the episode five which was the the whole doctor double thing i actually like the idea of uh of having a, a double for the doctor and, and creating a, a robot i just i think the the way that they choose to go about act, like act, actualizing that on screen just didn't really make any sense to me because i thought well you know maybe it would have made sense to have the the double in there when the doctor has to be on screen with him or in the same scene at least but then later we get this the you know the doctor William Hartnell playing both of them in the same scene, cutting back and forth, and then also having the body double in there when they have to fight. And it just, it seemed kind of messy and confusing. I feel like they should have just used the doc, they should have used William Hartnell for every single scene and and only used the body double when they absolutely had to. And they, that's not what they did. No, it was a rare case, though. I mean, this is, again, going back to how TV was produced back then when they didn't really have many edits to play around with. Mm-hmm. Um, they had no split screen, certainly no time to line up all that sort of stuff. Um, even later on, uh, and you look at ah, no, that spoilers. I won't bother saying that because you never know. People might not have seen this. Um, but they actually shot the fight scene such as it was very first in the studio day so William Hartnell wouldn't get tired because they, they, he feared that would tire himself out. So they shot that first so he could sort of recuperate through before they shot the rest of the episode. So even then was a rare instance of them shooting stuff out of order. But if they had done that for more, that probably would have put them behind schedule. So maybe that's why. Because you're right, the scenes where they actually, you know, when, when both doctors come in and they says, no, that's the robot, Chesterton, and then, then we cut to the other one. That was actually good. It was actually well done. Mm-hmm. And then we got back to weird, strange not doctor with a uh, tape-delayed voice uh, sort of thing. That's it, Chesterton. I didn't finish him off. Don't look away, Susan. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I also thought it was they never actually explained how they figured out which one was the doctor and which one was not, or did they? They did, but again, let's give it another round cheer of cheer for Richard Martin for not focusing on the crux of the scene. But the doctor says to Vicky, cover your eyes, Susan. It might be nasty. Oh, yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, because it wasn't very obvious, wasn't? New. No. So that's what happened there. And then, of course, Vicky realized that, wait a minute, I'm not Susan, because probably the, the Daleks didn't update their database or something like that. They only had version, you know, 1.2. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. on file as opposed to 1.21. <laughs> so that's uh, that was the, the the fatal flaw, and that's what led to the uh, robot being exterminated. Okay, so story wise, yeah. I am I am now on board with that. I just yeah, it was the terrible direction that I I didn't get that from. So I I felt like that was a pretty good. I, I liked. I like that planet. Uh, mm-hmm. What mechanist? Mechanist, yeah, mechanist, home of the mechanoids. Terry Nation. Yeah. Funny thing is, is well, I suppose this is the colonial nature of Earth because Earth people sent the mechanoids off to that planet fifty years prior to colonize it, to sort of clear it for colonizing. Terraform. <clears throat> Terraform. Um, but then it got involved in wars. So really, it's the Earthmen who named it. But that's odd, though, because you think, let's name this new planet that we're going to colonize. We're going to call it, we're going to name it after the robots who we're going to send to, like, that's basically re- like renaming Mars, like, Explorer. <laughs> or whatever the, uh, the the little skateboard thing, the robot that's uh, that's exploring the planet now, you know? I don't think humanity would do that. I would hope humanity wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, the city was pretty cool looking though, wasn't it? You were genuinely impressed by that, I think. Yeah, the very first shot of it, I was like, woo. And then all those shots with the tiny little model <laughs> mechanoid, they're just so cute. Trundling along. Super, super cute. I love that. I was kind of hoping that we would see some teeny tiny Daleks rolling along there too, but we did not. I suppose we didn't, did we? No, we saw just two or three tiny mechanoids and a mm-hmm. crash zoom in before the big uh, on-film fight mm-hmm. that destroyed the city. Which was pretty sweet. I mean, they did a lot of, you know, kind of cross-fading and, and interesting things to try to make it look like there's a whole bunch of fire and flames and crazy animated explosions and stuff all yeah. happening at the same time. But I think, I thought it worked really well. Lots of smoke roiling in the background, and I was I was duly impressed. It was on film, of course. So they could do that. They had the sort of the time and the energy to be able to put together some sort of sequence like that. So, yeah, sometimes these uh, these pre-filmed sequences uh, are pretty impressive in Doctor Who, and that's good because I wouldn't have wanted um, to trust Richard Martin to try to pull that off in a live studio situation. Because um, there's another like weird shot of where that before the whole place goes up in smoke, that Dalek sort of wanders around, turns. Turns back a bit, gets close to the little ball. There goes the bomb right there, and that starts everything. It just didn't seem to be, nothing was happening again for a little while. No, no. And I do feel like the the level of excitement that we had there watching the explosion, that matched the level of celebration that our main characters had. However, they didn't actually watch all of that play out. They were just climbing down and running away from it. I did not like the self-congratulatory nature of their celebration afterwards. And Ian telling the doctor, congratulations, you did it. You defeated them again. Which, I mean, I guess, yes, he built the little machine thing that exploded and did that. But right. I don't know. It, it felt a little bit out of uh, out of sync with 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 what their victory had actually been compared with what some of their victories had been before and what their celebrations had been previously. Mm-hmm. I understand this was Ian and Barbara's last story, so it's probably more of a, you know, a, a doyalist perspective that they wanted to give them a nice big celebration before the doctor got all grumpy again. Possibly. Also, they had been chased for the past six weeks of, mm-hmm. as well and sort of, there they go. We got their victory celebration as opposed to, oh, mm-hmm. oh we finally got it. Yeah. Okay, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. 
Yep. And and we meet Steven and Hi-Fi here, which is pretty exciting. Yes. What excited about about, uh, about Steven Taylor's first appearance? Well, I've, I've seen at least two different Steven stories that come after this. So I've seen C- Steven. So it's always exciting watching when you're watching Doctor Who Out of Order to go back and find the origin of a character that you've already sort of come to know. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I knew the basics of that he had been a captive for a long time and and on his own and talking to himself and a, a panda bear named <laughs> Hi-Fi. Right. Oh my God, I want a little Hi-Fi so bad. Possibly even more than I want a plush canine. I think I might actually want. Why is there no, why is there no Hi-Fi dolls? I don't know because I would snap that up so fast. Yeah. I mean, much as I would still love to have a plush canine, that would be great. But but the actual canine is a you know is a little metal robot dog, which yeah. is great. The actual Hi-Fi is a little stuffed panda bear. I could have an exact duplicate of Hi-Fi, and he would be so cuddly, and we could we could snuggle together at night. And I want that very much. There's got to be someone like Etsy or something like that has to somebody has to have made Hi-Fi. You'd think so. I love that his name is Hi-Fi. <laughs> What's the deal with that? His name is Hi-Fi. <laughs> High Fidelity Stereo System, which was coming into vogue in 1965, so they named a panda bear off of him. I just love that. He named him Hi-Fi. <laughs> never really thought about that before. But it's one of my favorite things. Isn't Peter Purvis such a great actor? Isn't he awesome in that in that scene where he meets the rest of the travelers? He is so, so good all the way through this. Oh. I mean, the first scene is, is just amazing. I mean, he pulls it off. He is a guy who's so excited to see other people. He hasn't talked to anybody else in two years. He is just delightedly showing off this thing that he made. Oh, it's all my own work. Look what I did. He's just like, he's like a little kid who's excited about it. And and then the uh, the scene where he is running away from the fungus after he has escaped, um, following everybody else, he's running along and like, the scene right as he's running sort of toward the camera and he stumbles kind of past the camera, he is, he's like his hand that's holding hi-fi is shaking. He's like, you know, he's barely getting away. It's just, it's such a consummate performance. I'm really, really impressed. I know. Peter Purvis became known in England for like his presenting stuff on Blue Peter, especially on many things after that. Like we, we are witnessing pretty much the end of his acting career. Which is such a tra- he is so good. He is such a good companion. I you know obviously I want all all Doctor Who episodes missing episodes to be found again, but spoiler alert: a lot of Peter Purvis's stuff is missing from the archives, and it is such a shame. I bet you you know a lot of people were reacting when they found you know some older Troughton ones, even like the Underwater Menace, which is not usually a fondly looked upon story, but everyone started to reevaluate it be- just because of Troughton. I think. If and when they find more William Hartnell season three episodes and see Peter Purvis in these, mm-hmm. we would realize how great an actor he was and really how great an actor we lost to the presenting gigs that he became famous for because he's really brilliant. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think part of the reason that he probably went on to do the presenting gigs so well is that he he has this the sparkle and this charm that comes through on screen when he's playing this character and I think a good portion of that is really is just him that he's able to put that in this character because Steven is a character that has that kind of you know charm and charisma and stuff and and it's, it was just so natural for him that he really took to the presenting gig really well and just he was awesome at it and it's 
probably a lot easier than it is to to act. So I'm not, I feel bad, yes, for the world for not getting to see more stuff that Peter Purvis did acting wise, but I feel pretty good for him because I feel like he, he, he did all right. Yeah. We'll, t- we'll talk more about Peter Purvis uh, and his transition from acting to presenting at a later date, though, because there's an interesting story about that. Yeah. I, a little teaser for future Lazy Doctor Who. I'm excited. Uh-huh. Um, so Ian and Barbara are gone. Oh my god. I got I got I got weepy and a little teary at the end. That was uh but I really feel like it was done well because you had <laughs> as much as I can't stand the doctor being grumpy and stuff, I, I thought that here it was so perfect because they realized that they can finally go home and it's a nice moment between the two of them when they're like, Yeah, like holy cow, we this is a thing that can happen. Oh my gosh. And then, of course, the doctor explodes and blows up and, and doesn't want to do it. And he reverts immediately to the doctor that we saw at the very beginning before he met Ian and Barbara, which is it, it just it's poetically perfect, mm-hmm. I think, because they are the ones who, who brought him out of that and taught him how to, to interact with humans and to be sort of more human and, and more of a, a kindly accepting soul. And the thought of losing these two people who have become so important to him it, it you know it sends him kind of into a rage right back to that and Vicky talks him off the ledge which is which is really sweet and and I think that there's no better testament to the work that Barbara and Ian have done to help shape the doctor as a person than the fact that he is able to recognize that yes this is the best thing for them and and is able to to let them go it's just it it is like kind of coming full circle in a big way and then coming full circle in a little way in, the, in just this little scene. Mm-hmm. It's it's so perfect. I never thought about that way. Mm-hmm. This is what watching these stories for the first time. This was your first time watching the story, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's interesting to see a, per, a first timer's perspective on such things. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that way. I just sort of saw it as a blustering defense mechanism that he really didn't want them to go. So he was sort of like just sort of putting on that kind of act to try and kind of get them to stay or at least force them to stay but he knew in the end that he couldn't do it mm-hmm. yeah and then you know um and his just lovely you know it's so understated he has the big speech at the end of the dalek invasion of earth when he says goodbye to susan we don't actually see their final scene it happens in the dalek ship and we see them the doctor and vicky walk off afterwards and it's just those you know i shall miss them yes i shall miss them you know that's when I started crying because holy cow, William Hartnell has got the chops, man. Yep. He he he's as we know, he's really good at comedy when he, when he, you know, gets the opportunity for that sort of thing. But boy, can he do the heart-rending drama too. The, you know, he doesn't overplay it. You're right. It is so understated and he just nails it. William Hartnell. Mm-hmm. Underrated doctor. I love watching him in these early, you know, and he had a whole, like, he had action, he had comedy in this six-part story, he had the, he had pathos, like this here. I mean, he, he ran the full gamut of a, of a doctor in a story. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike, I don't, you know, it's hard to think of, like, any other Doctor Who story, when you think about it, despite those middle episodes, which are terrible. <laughs> it's still fun to watch William Hartnell, you know, sort of, you know, the chase and all that, talking to Morton Dill on top of the, you know, from that to the action scenes to, to that last yeah. scene. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me, uh, I was I was so blinded by my anger 
and awful, <laughs> awful, awful uh, episode four. Um, but but one of the other things that I did like about it was the fact that the doctor came up with this idea that the place they had landed existed solely in the human <laughs> mind. Yeah. And that just what a bonkers idea. And, and he, and he claimed just, it as a fact. <laughs> it's yeah. not a theory, Chesterton. This is a fact. Yeah. So that's that was that's kind of a bright spot because that is so delightfully first doctor-ish. It's it's just a such a him thing to do. So so that is, you know, one of the few bright spots of that episode. Yeah. Um what do you think of the the very end when uh, when um Ian and Barbara uh you know land in London 1965 um and you know, I love the little kiss that Ian gives to Barbara on the cheek there and they start running around with little still photography stuff. What do you think about that? I loved it. At first, I, I, cause you know, I knew that how they left, but I didn't know, I didn't know that they went back in a Dalek ship. I had no idea. I just assumed the doctor dropped them off. So that was all new to me. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, oh my God, is there, a Do- is there a Dalek ship just sitting in London this whole time after they get back? And then no, he goes back and he blows it up, which makes perfect sense. And that's great. And yes. And then they go off and they just, they just celebrate and they're just like little kids so excited to be home. And I thought it was wonderful. And I liked the uh, the photo montage. Um, the, the first couple stills of pigeons were really confusing until I re- realized what was <laughs> what was happening. Uh, but then once I caught on, I, I thought it was kind of a nice, delightful way to do it. Because I wouldn't have wanted to watch too much of that happening. I feel like that would have gotten old and a little bit grating after a while because, you know, it's it's hard for us to say goodbye to, to Ian and Barbara as well. So I, I liked that. It was sort of like a, a, a truncated, quick, I don't know, it sort of seemed a little bit more artsy and and poetic again i I hate to use that word too many times Mm -hmm. uh but i I really kind of feel like that's what this story is in a way or at least this this episode so it 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 was it was really really fun and then i i just kind of i had heard about the still stuff so i assumed that was all there was to it but no then we actually do get them live action again um on the is it a bus or a train the bus Mm -hmm. yeah and and just laughing and giggling and putting their heads together. And then I also didn't know that the doctor and Vicky got to see that through the space-time visualizer thing. And the fact that they got confirmation that they were okay. And, and you know, that's when the doctor turns around. It's that... It all was just... It was, it was even better than I could have hoped for. I, I feel like Ian and Barbara, whom I am going to miss so, so, so much, uh, that they got a, a really, really great send-off. I, I, I feel good about it. Yeah. Those, uh, those stills, by the way, were taken by Douglas Camfield, who directed the next story. Mm-hmm. So that was during the location shooting for the time medley. Like, he actually went off and shot those. You know, it's weird. When I was watching that this time around, I got such a vibe... Uh, from something that would happen three years after that, and that is the last episode of The Prisoner, where they sort of come out and they realize they look around and there's, you know, they're back on Earth, mm-hmm. London 1965, and they're running around to sort of, you know, just like um, uh, spoilers for The Prisoner, the, uh, yeah. number six and, and the butler running around uh, London and, you know, Alexis Catter and on the bus and everything. I just thought, this is a, this, there's a, I wonder if McGowan watched this or something or had an idea, you know, at like five o'clock on Monday morning, <laughs> three hours before they were due to record this damn thing, uh, that perhaps he thought, oh, wait a minute, that Doctor Who episode from three years ago, maybe I'll work that in. Who knows? Wow. Um, 
you're not going to save that episode of The Prisoner for me. I'm going to hate it forever. But maybe you've uh, maybe you've mitigated that just a teeny tiny bit. Just think of it as Ian and Barbara mm-hmm. coming back, you know, from the village in London. Wow. Um, hmm. Hmm. Don't don't make me like that episode. No. I'll hate myself. Now, now I'm having a big flashback of the last scene of the prisoner, just sort of like the you know, which is the title sequence of the car coming towards. Instead of number six, it's Ian <laughs> driving KAR 120C, mm-hmm. the prisoner. Oh boy! <laughs> it's a shame in a way that actually William Russell didn't play the prisoner, and then that would have tied that entire thing around, but. That's the great thing about Doctor Who, isn't it? We were really dreading two or three of those episodes in the middle, and and now because of that ending, it's 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 not it's uh, easy to sort of remember that whole story fondly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still I'm still saying that overall the chase is is a win. I was an wow, I was I was pretty angry uh, in yeah, the middle I there. I was I, I was I was I was livid, but uh, but yeah, and actually even watching episode five, I was kind of thinking. Oh wow, this left such a terrible taste in my mouth. I'm just not able to get over it. But nope, nope, it did. Uh, it came back. It won me over again. That's good. Um, uh, one thing that might also um, make you happier as well that not only lasted, we say goodbye to Ian and Barbara, but uh, we also say goodbye to Richard Martin. He does. He directs <laughs> no more episodes in Doctor Who because this is pretty much um, almost a swan song for Verity Lambert because she was kind of really starting to move on at this point. And it was John Wiles sort of gradually taking over from here on in until Verity leaves uh, for good at the end of the second production block. So this is a big end of an era Doctor Who story. You know, this is the sort of the chance. This is the beginning of William Hartnell really becoming unhappy because all the people who he started the show with Verity Lambert, you know, Carol Ann Ford, William Russell, Jacqueline Wright, they're all leaving him. And now it's just him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jacqueline Wright. <laughs> Because that's Barbara, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's, it's it'll be interesting. And of course, uh, the another thing that starts to happen, of course, in Doctor Who after this point is that uh, a lot of it doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, once uh, we 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 get blessed with the time meddler after this, but uh, after that, it gets a little spotty. I'm afraid. Well, the fact that it gets a little spotty means that it's pretty much all new to me which is kind of exciting because i have seen a hand you know a few of the william hartnell i've seen some of the william hartnell era that exists i haven't watched any of the recons except for marco polo which you know we did for the podcast so so i'm excited to consume some new stories um you know sad that they're they're gone Mm -hmm. but but yeah wow i guess i i hadn't thought about how end of an era it is like how much that is in the in the behind the scenes thing so wow and uh, you know i've i've seen the next story so you have yep yeah. mm-hmm. even that was uh, was missing up until 1984 mm-hmm. and even still there are there are about 10 or 15 seconds from one of the episodes that are still missing because of the censor cuts and everything so so even even when they were selling the show they sold basically the unearthly child through to the chase as sort of a a, a piece, so to speak, um, uh, and uh, after that, uh, the, even the sales become a little more spotty around the world. So, mm. yep, transition. Uh, one thing that I was was thinking of. Sometimes we talk about how uh, 
looking back at the show, you have very different eyes because of things that have sort of gotten retconned in the new series, especially. Uh, probably the biggest being the, the Doctor's Wife, where Neil Gaiman and Stephen Moffat retconned that the TARDIS has, you know, kind of chosen a lot of the uh, other places that the Doctor has ended up and all that kind of stuff. I now posit that the TARDIS quite likes Stephen Taylor. Because okay. when Vicky shows up on the fungus planet and reaches the TARDIS while everybody else is away, she can't get in. And the Doctor and and Ian and Barbara and Vicky have not been back to the TARDIS before Stephen gets there. He gets there before them. And somehow he's inside when they get in there. And, you know, because this is a minor spoiler for the very beginning of the next next story. Um they don't know that Steven is in the TARDIS until like a couple, you know, a minute in or whatever. Uh-huh. So I think the TARDIS opened up for him because she thought he was dreamy or something. I think the TARDIS opened up for him because you think he's dreamy. <laughs> what about this is this is the only time I get to, to ask you about this. Uh, what do you think about Peter Purvis with the beard? I'm not usually a beard person. But he can work that. Yeah, Peter Capaldi has has turned to you, hasn't he? We're seeing him <laughs> with the beard now. Anyway, he grew that. Peter uh, um, Steve, um, Peter Purvis grew that beard basically so he wouldn't look like Morton Dill from three weeks ago once he had been cast. Yeah, it's a shame in a way that we didn't watch this. So remember, remember him. Remember the guy who plays Stephen Taylor. He was a no name character three weeks ago in Doctor Who, and now he's a companion. Remember the thing we watched with with Pearl Mackey as Bill in that little thing, two minutes, you know, that was shot three weeks ago before it was even announced. Oh, I love 60s Doctor Who and how quickly it all came together. Anyway. It was a little slapdash in uh, in a lot of ways, but, but that's fun. And yeah, yeah, it's delightful. It, mm-hmm. That's Doctor Who in a nutshell. Slapdash. Mm-hmm. And we but still it love it. Yep, it does. Is that it then? Is that it for the chase? We're not. Uh, we're not watching the time mother tonight. It's close to midnight. Yeah, we probably shouldn't. I, because in part because, like I said, I've seen it before. I've not. I've seen it before at least twice, maybe three times, possibly three times. Uh, so if we tried to watch it now, the fact that I know it would probably make it more likely that I would fall asleep because I wouldn't feel any um, uh, like impetus to stay awake because i want to find out what happens next because i know what happens next i'm excited about it because i quite like the time meddler but but i know what happens next and it's great to see it in context now mm-hmm. after uh, after all that we've seen so yeah i always i always saw the you know sort of unfolding of the the companionship between vicky and steven but now i really understand where it started from and i had never seen much vicky actually before other than that so so yeah this is this is really going to be kind of fun to watch it where it slots in yeah which we'll do on the next episode whenever that hopefully not like a month and a half after the um last one but no promises because this is lazy doctor who we're being lazy Mm -hmm. that's how we do it yep lazy doctor who lazy doctor who okay goodbye goodbye (laughs) 